The passage is printed in the bulletin for you. We're looking at 1 Peter uh, chapter 2, verses 11 through 12. So if you remember uh, last week, we looked at 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 through 10. Okay, so we're in the, the two verses uh, right after that, and we're continuing in this series uh, called Evangelism as Exiles, or Living as Exiles, right? That we are uh, people who belong to Jesus, so we actually belong with Him, but we are living here on earth, and we're called to live as faithful witnesses uh, to Jesus. So the, the, uh, just some context of where we are in the Bible as a whole. You know, 1 Peter is written in the New Testament by the Apostle Peter. It's written, remember we talked about this last week, to primarily a Gentile audience. So this is not a, a Jewish audience that would have known uh, the laws of the Old Testament. They're, they're new converts that were outside of the people of God prior to Jesus. So now they've come to Jesus, and um, he is speaking to them. Okay, so we see um, throughout the book of First Peter, we see uh, themes of, um, of exile, of, of um, alienation, of suffering, of persecution. He's laying out what it looks like for you to be a believer. And often it's not... <laughs> an easy way. So he's helping us with how we're to live amongst uh, people who do not believe in Jesus. So last week, I want, I want us to, to, to remember this, okay, because you really need to take last week's sermon and this week's sermon together, because it's really hard for me how I was taught to preach, to preach a very imperative or let's go do this heavy sermon. But First Peter 11 through 12, that's all it is. <laughs> okay, so this is, this is where we are in the text. But I want you to remember it's coming off the heels of last week and the week prior to that. Last week, you know, we, we've seen in First Peter, there's lots of defining descriptors of who God's people are, right? In the, in the very beginning, Chuck talked about us being elect exiles, right? That we are called out to live with Jesus. Last week, we looked at that we're, we're a holy nation, we're a royal priesthood, we're a God's treasured possession, right? So he, he is, he's captured that for us, who God's people are. And now he's saying, how do you live in light of that? So that's where we are in the text today, okay? So 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 11 through 12, if you have your bulletin or a Bible or maybe your phone, go ahead and open it up and let's um, read this together. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that Though uh, we loved sin, we loved rebellion, God, you have called us out as your people, as your treasured possession. Father, as we come to your word today, we pray that we would be convicted. We would uh, learn more about you and more about ourselves and, and how we're called to live in light of who we are in you. Father, be with us now this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. One of my favorite um, seminary professors in, uh, sem- in seminary was Dan Doriani, and he actually wrote a commentary on First Peter, and he, he tells a story of Benjamin Franklin. I think it's uh, really helpful for us, kind of where we're starting today, and I'm going to read this for us. So he says this. In his autobiography, Benjamin Franklin writes that he was a vegetarian, refusing all animal flesh for a while in his youth. Then one day he was on a boat. The wind died away, 
With nothing else to do, the sailors decided to cast for fish and caught a number of cod. Soon the fish were frying, and the delicious smell, coupled with his rising hunger, tempted Franklin. You know that smell, right? Franklin's vegetarian principles and physical desires battled briefly for his control of his will. Then he noticed that as the fishermen prepared the fish, they found smaller fish in the bellies of some of the cod. Therefore, he reasoned this way, if fish eat one another, why can't people eat fish? Satisfied with his logic, Franklin ate some fish, adding this. This is the the punchline, okay? So convenient a thing it is to be a reasonable creature since it enables one to find or make a reason for everything one has a mind to do. (laughs) Yeah, I couldn't believe it when I read that story. I was like, isn't that true though, right? That rationalizing our way through life is not only common for Benjamin Franklin. It's common for all of us, right? If you're like me, it's easy for us to live how we want to without second thought. We rationalize, oh, this is just how uh, it's okay to live in society. It's okay with my peers that I live this way. And, and often we, we just forget about God's call in certain areas in our life. But we see in the text today that Christians were called to a different lifestyle, right? That, that not only does your justification, your co- being called out as God's holy nation, your royal priesthood affect you in all eternity. It affects you today and how you live and how you uh, work and how you deal with people in the grocery store, right? It, it affects every part of life. So though you're God's treasured possession, the text tells us uh, last week that you are, you're called out by him. You're his holy nation, royal priesthood. In our text today, it tells us at the same time, the passions of the flesh wage war against your soul. That there is a battle being fought against sin, So there's a couple ways you can go, right? We can rationalize our way through life over here. Or the other way is what Peter is calling us to today, that we can look at our sin in the eye. We can fight against it through the Spirit's power and live for Jesus, for the good of the world and for the glory of God at the same time. So that's where we're going today, right? That God has called out his people. He has justified you. You are 100% 100% justified, 100% sanctified, but at the same time, we battle sin. We battle it over and over again, okay? So the theme that we're looking at today, this is printed in your bulletin, is that God's people are called to a beautiful way of life before a watching world. God's people are called to a beautiful way of life before a watching world, and we're going to look at three different things. First, our fight, our lives, and then lastly, our witness, before we get into the the first point, I think that even in the first couple words, we get to see God's calling us as his people. So in verse 11, just look at this with me. He starts with this. He says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles. So Peter is is starting this uh, two verses of exhortation, calling his people to a certain type of lifestyle. But he starts with calling them beloved. And the root of this word is the same word that that is used throughout the scripture of God's love for his people. So he's imparting two things in this. Peter, or the Peter is, is imparting to us that this is for your good. This is out of God's love that he's commanding you to do this. The second time we see that it is those people that he has called out. He is saying, you are beloved 
so I urge you. Okay, so you are God's people, so I urge you. The second thing uh, we see is that we're called sojourners and exiles, right? That this idea is, is very familiar in First Peter, this idea of alien or sojourner or stranger. But we also see this is very common in all of redemptive history, that, that Abraham called himself that, uh, talking to the Hittites. He said, I, I, I'm a stranger. We see Paul, uh, I'm sorry, uh, David in Psalm uh, 39 saying the same thing. We see this laid out as believers in the New Testament, in Ephesians, Hebrews. They're all mentioned that we are uh, uh, we're a stranger. We're, we're not normal in this society that we live in. And, and here is the point. Okay, we live in a world, all of us live in a world that is at best apathetic to Christianity and at worst hostile. Okay, so we can't go out anymore and expect the, the norms of Christianity to be accepted. They're maybe apathetic, mostly hostile is, wh- is where we're headed, right? Okay, so we need to remember at the beginning that he has called us a holy nation, a chosen race, a royal priesthood. He, he says that in the word beloved. That, that's recapping what he's just told us. So we're going to get to our fight. So let's look at the rest of verse uh, 11. This, this is uh, starting in point one there, our fight. So the whole uh, verse says this, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. So we see here that he starts with a, a negative exhortation. He's saying ab- abstain from these certain things. And when he's talking about passions of the flesh, he's talking about things that are inside of you, that are, that are moving that, that are fighting against you, that, that is, is sinful impulses that still remain. And, and what he's saying, and the way that he uses a verbiage in the original language, he's saying that you need to be on guard all of the time. He's, this word abstain has a, a present uh, connotation to it. So no matter who you are, if you've been a Christian for 50 minutes or 50 years, he's saying, be on guard. Be on guard because there is a war being waged against your soul. One theologian says this, that he says, this use of abstain implies the need to maintain a constant guard against succumbing to the repeated blandishments and so-called natural desires of the human heart. So these desires are coming from within us, right? Because sin is not uh, completely gone yet. You know, it's an already not yet thing that we've talked about time after time, right? But I want us to think about this. So we're living in a a culture, I tell you this here, and you've heard that a lot from this pulpit, right? Whether me speaking, Chuck, whoever else comes, we'll tell you that over and over again. But when you go out and you read a billboard, when you interact with someone in a grocery store, when you're in a classroom, when you're at work, there is a different narrative being told. It's not the same one that the scriptures tells us, right? They tell us, and I've mentioned this before, they tell us things like, follow your heart, You do you. Go after what makes you happy, right? That is counter to what he's saying here. He's telling us here there is a war being waged. There are passions of the flesh that are inside you that are completely contrary to your good and to God's glory, okay? So this is why we're called to fight, Because the battle is ongoing. Our whole life it will be there. Many of you in the room have been Christians longer than I've been alive, right? What a beautiful thing. But at the same time, like we all have to fight all the time. 
like my, my grandfather passed away this last year. My, my dad's the, the youngest of four, and uh, he, he was in late 90s. He's 98. And one of the last pictures my dad took of him was him. It's really funny that he had First Peter open, could barely even read. But I thought to myself, at 98, this godly man that has followed the Lord his whole life understands that the battle is never done. He's waging war against his 98-year-old soul, right? We always have to fight. What one theologian says about this: that as aliens, we strive to abstain from the sinful paths of our culture that our culture presents. Indeed, uh, each society panders to sinful desires, presenting them as plausible and easily indulged. And the disciple, we are called to abstain from them and fight against them because they battle against us. You know, often when I think about sin and things I slip in, I'm like, "That was fun for a minute." But what the text is saying is that this is dangerous. It's really not helpful for you at all. Okay, so I'm going to go to a little bit lighter side. It's a heavy text, so I had to think of really light illustrations, I feel like, to help us to break it up. Okay, so Allison's uh, uh, family lives in uh, Longview, Texas, which is two hours east of Dallas. So when we were in St. Louis, we used to go uh, down... Now we go all the way across Texas. It's a wonderful drive, very scene, uh, scenic, and you know, if you've made that drive, you know what it's actually like. So if there, if, when you're driving along uh, from here to Dallas and then beyond that, you know there's one exit that you have to stop at, right? It's where the huge Bucky sign is. Who has been to East Texas and has been to Bucky's? Okay, yes. So if you haven't, people told me this from time to time. It's this like Texas-sized gas station with 100 pumps, and you walk in, and you know, it's just Texas every, like written all over it, right? Like tons of like overload of snacks, overload of drinks, like there's grills. It's like ridiculous, right? So I finally stopped there uh, whenever uh, Audra was born. We went and saw Allison's mom. We drove through there. I stayed in the car with the dogs and with Audra because she was sleeping. So the girls would go in, and they, they're taking a while, but it's kind of normal in a gas station, right? Like with young kids, it's like they're going to take 30 minutes. I don't know what they're doing in there, but they, it's 30 minutes, right? So I'm, I'm like doing whatever, like listening to a whole podcast, and they come back out or something, you know, like it's that. So they come back out, and they're like, oh, do you want to go in? I'm like, yeah, I guess I'll see what the hype is all about, right? So I go in. 30 minutes pass with me by myself, and I walk out like, ba- like arms full of bags, like Bucky's gear, right? Like snacks and cups and shirts, all kinds of stuff. Man, this place is amazing, is what I thought, okay? So we stopped there every time we passed through. So when we were there over Christmas, we passed through, and I bought my daughters this shirt, okay? It's obviously pink, right? It's, a, it's a, always a pink shirt. This has a buck. This is the Bucky sign. This is the sign you look for, okay? <laughs> okay, but the reason I'm showing you this and telling you all this, this is what the back of the shirt says, and you probably can't read it, so I will read it to you. I followed my heart, it led me to Bucky's. I thought, that is not, that's me right there. If I'm going to give in at all, right? If I'm going to follow my heart, I'm going to indulge as much as I want. It's, it's, it's everything in the store that I would want, right? There are things in life like this, like Bucky's, that are good, and we indulge and we love them, and we go overboard, right? Good things become ultimate. Right? I think it's Keller says that we're, our hearts are idol factories. We, we just can make idols out of the simplest good thing. Right? So even this can become sin. Like we can prioritize things more than we should. Right? I mean, this can be work, your status in the community, how your friends see you. 
things that these can become your sole focus, so important above God so quickly. Another application to this text specifically is probably closer to the text is what the Bible calls as um, works of the flesh. Okay, so these are the sins that are waging war against your soul still as a believer. Okay, so Paul in Galatians, not Peter, but Paul, uh, speaks of works in the flesh in, uh, in, in chapter 5, verses 19 through 21. He lists these laundry, a laundry list of things. Like, abstain from these things. They're talking in unison, right? Like, so we have to do with the New Testament. Saying that they're written to different people at different times, but they're interpreting each other at the same time, right? So we talk about passions of the flesh. Often when we go to a list, like I'm about to read, I want, I want to tell you this up front. We're going to look at the list and say, this one's really bad, this one's really bad. But I don't really struggle with those. You say that in the back of your mind. You're not going to say that with your lips, right? But those are really bad. Those are really bad things. And then here are those other ones in the middle that are always like, oh, society says that anger's okay. Society says that greed's okay. So it's okay. And so I'm going to read this list. This is, what, this is what Paul calls the people to do. Now the works of the flesh, and I think this is what Peter is saying, are evident sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality. Okay, we can stop there. Those are those easy ones, right? Of course, of course, everyone would say that. Even some won't, but most of the time. Okay, we go on. Idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like that. So when we go to a text that's saying, passions of the flesh are waging war against your soul. We have to understand that we're all going to fall short somewhere. So we go to a text. It's easy for us, right, to say, I'm going to go to this text and say, yeah, there's, there's a war being waged, and it's out there, and I'm going to go fight it because all this bad stuff is going on out there. I think the call for us today is not going out there and looking what's all this bad stuff. It's what's inside. So we come to a text like this, and we say, where do I fall short? Where am I not honoring God with my mind, with my body? And we plead with the Lord. We can't see it that he shows us, right? And the Lord, he's actually really gracious to us in this. That if you plead for the Lord to reveal your sin to you, he will. A piece at a time. Little by little. Because he knows if he reveals all of it, it will crush you. You won't be able to stand, right? So he does it in his graceful way of, of, of just little by little. And when he does that, when he convicts, the call is for you to repent, to turn to him and know that your justification is in him. And it's only through his power that you can fight it. So you turn to him in your sin. So even when you, when you get convicted, there's two ways to go. You can run to God or you can run away, right? And the call is to run to him. He is the one that has already made you holy and will continue to sanctify you. Okay, so let's go on. This is a, a verses, verse 12. We're going to look at really the next two points. Our lives and our witness are really connected. We'll look at the first half of, of uh, verse 12, which is our lives. It says this. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. So if you remember in verse 11, it's a negative exhortation. It's saying abstain from this. Don't do this. Don't do this. Don't do this. Right? Now, it's a positive exhortation. He's like, live this way. So when he says, um, in the Greek, Greek was really hard for me to get because sometimes um, 
the noun and the verb that are connected to each other could be at the beginning and the very end of the sentence. Word order doesn't matter at all. Okay, so when we translate it, uh, we try to make it more applicable to English. So in the Greek, the words that are actually connected are this honorable lifestyle. If you took a, a straight-up rendering, it's a little bit more clunky, it would be a beautiful way of life. And when he's talking about this word that's, that's in our text is uh, translated honorable, or I just said beautiful, it's not talking about, like, like some translations will say good. It's not talking about a moral, morally good way of life. It's actually talking about a, a life that attracts other people, that is beautiful before them. So it's not morally good. And, and he's saying this, he says this in the text, that he says, live this way, a beautiful way of life among the Gentiles. And that word Gentiles is translated a lot of different ways, but it's essentially talking about people who are other than Christian. Okay, so it's not talking about Gentiles who believe, because the confusing thing here, right? They, these are Gentiles that are listening to the letter, that are believers. But when he says this, he's saying, live a beautiful way of life amongst those who do not believe in Jesus, those who do not profess faith. So let's go on and finish verse 12. It's, it's the third point, our witness. So it says, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. So the second half of the verse in 12b, he starts by saying Christians are to expect evildoers to speak against you. You should expect that. You shouldn't say this is an anomaly. This is a normal thing in life. So it should not surprise us when Christianity now, when we're living as exiles, probably closer to how these people lived than any other time in our a history of our, of our nation, right? We're closer to where these people were. So he's saying for them, and I could think we can apply it to us, that we should not be surprised when Christianity gets painted in a negative light. We should not be surprised by that. This has happened for centuries. From the cent- like beginning of the church, it's always happened. Actually, I mean, throughout time, like the church has been accused of actual crimes. Like we are starting, it's getting to that point, right? Like in my children's life, life, uh, it will probably get that way. That some of the things that we believe will be a crime. They're not there yet, but they will be. But over the centuries, they have been that, right? Like that's where we're headed now. And that's where um, the, the church has really uh, seen over the years. Like this, like I read this and I, it just, it's crazy, right? But I can see it happening. Like the church has been um, accused of practicing murder, of incest, of cannibalism because of the words in the Bible that say love feasts. Brothers and sisters, eating the body, drinking the blood, right? Like, we have to come knowing now that the words of Scripture are going to be twisted. That, 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 that the society is, is going to look negatively upon Christianity, right? But remember, when we have to expect that, we have to remember where, what, what was the exhortation in the beginning of 12. He said, live a beautiful life amongst the people. Amongst the people in your life, live a beautiful life. So though they're going to speak ill of you, you should be living in a beautiful way. And one theologian says this, the most saintly and innocent behavior is not going to prevent slanderous allegations being made. Even Jesus himself suffered this way. But the Christian response is to rebut such false charges by the quality of daily conduct. 
Isn't that beautiful? Like our call, we see in the second, verse, uh, the, the second half of verse 12, the, the purpose of our way of life is that so non-believers will see it. Christians are called to live in a way that is recognized as good, even by society. Okay, So this is when we get to the point where we need to apply 1 Peter to El Paso in 2022. Because we understand that living in a way that they see as beautiful is going to change from, from generation to generation. But there is a bit of truth that I think is helpful for us, that we're, we see that um, there is an overlap, and there's always going to be an overlap of what the society sees as good and what the Bible teaches as good, right? So we need to see that, and we need to push into that. We need to say, let's live in this beautiful way to show even the pagan, even the non-Christian, how beautiful God is, right? So for us in our time now, I want us to think about our society, where we are. If you watch the news for 10 minutes or listen to a news podcast or whatever, it's just full of hatred, full of division, like full of, if it's, they're on the other side of the aisle of whatever is going on in life, I don't care what it is, they are painted in the most negative light you can get, right? So when we get to this text, I want us to think about it in two ways. I want us to think uh, practically, application, boots on the ground, first personally, and second, uh, corporately or together as a church. And I think this thing, when I, I thought about this, I prayed about it, and, you know, I was laying in bed. Chuck and I talk about this all the time. It's just like being a pastor. It's like, man, I'm like laying in bed thinking about sermon ap- application. Like, that's like, that's the life, right? <laughs> and it's just because... I, I, I know, like, like God's word holds weight, and I want to do justice by it, and I want to apply it well for us so we can have an impact here. So if you think about the culture we're living in, what I came to is that I want to challenge us to have lifestyles that are marked by this, marked by intentional grace, kindness, and love. Because those three things are not very present right now. And when they are present, it's seen as beautiful. I don't care who it is, right? So that means when you're at the grocery store, at work, at the playground, in a restaurant, speaking with a friend, in the Starbucks line, wherever you are, our lives should be marked by intentional grace, kindness, and love. I want us to think even about when uh, a new person comes to church, okay? How are they received? How Are, are our lives, uh, individually and as a church, marked so much by uh, grace, kindness, and love that they walk out of the door and say, man, those people really loved me well. I think we do a pretty good job. I do. Like, I'm, I'm being honest. Like, I've only been here 18 months, but, like, I think we do a pretty good job here. At the same time, I think there's always uh, room to grow. I was studying this passage at Corner Bakery uh, earlier this week, and I had my stack uh, of first peter commentaries that were stacked up real high and you know i'm i have my headphones in and i'm going hard right like i just i i I have to have a big chunk of time when i'm working on sermon stuff so i had been in it four or five hours so i'm very focused a guy like comes up and usually i can like i'm in a corner bakery so there's lots of traffic a guy comes up and i didn't know if he was stopping or not i usually don't pay attention because people move around so much but he stopped and like lingered at my table so i finally like looked up right he's like that's a good book i took off my headphones he's like i'm like that's a good book first peter like, I studied that last year. I'm like, oh, really? Like, tell me about yourself. And we started talking. He's like, can I sit down for a minute? 
I'm like, yeah. It's like, so my, I'm, I'm actually preaching from First Peter this weekend. Like, this is what I'm doing. And, you know, so we got to talking about all this stuff. And I said, he's like, finally at the end, he's like, where are you a pastor? And I said, oh, Christ the King, like on Wrestler. He's like, I've been there. The one with the strings, right? Like, like that. Like the one that has the orchestra here, right? So the strings are beautiful. It's wonderful. They do a great job honoring the Lord with their music. That is a mark of Christ the King. Whether we want it to be or not, it is. That's a good mark. At the same time, what if a person left and saw me at Corner Bakery and said, oh, you're Christ the King? Yeah, those people are really nice. <laughs> They're full of love and kindness and grace towards me. Right, like when I have, I haven't church shopped a lot in my life. Like that just not, not seasons I've gone through. But when I have, any time that we landed in a place, it was always because of the people. Not the preacher, not the music. It was always because of the people. So I think our call, let's move to uh, church, right? Our call here as a corporate group of people is to be full of intentional grace, kindness, and love. You know, this starts with being together, right? Like life groups are, are the structure that are in place for that. And I've heard numerous, you know, I get to hear like, all the stories that are going on in life group. And it's just amazing how, like, you guys are really loving each other well there. So I think that's a good start, right? That, that is a place where we can do this for each other, show grace, kindness, and love all the time. The same time, when we go out, when we go out into the community, and, you know, Chuck and I have really brainstormed for a long time, you know, since we've been here. I mean, since I've been talking to him on the phone about how can we reach El Paso with the gospel, right? So, this year, we're going to be looking at things that we're going to be doing differently out in the community for the people. And we're not going to get to that now. But what, my, what I want us to push is that when we go out and do things like fall festival that is intended for the community or out even away from the church, we should be marked as a corporate people by grace, kindness, and love. Uh, evangelism is changing. Everything that all the studies show, show that. Before, it was like, build it and they'll come. Or it was based on just most people went to church or just inviting. Evangelism now is becoming effective by serving other people. Like, they, they want to see the life lived out. They want to see the people, their, their, their lives being changed. If their lives are changed, it's authentic, right? They want to see it. So when we go out, and are outside of this church building, if we're marked by grace, kindness, and love, I'm not saying, I say this is, this is um, our opportunity to be a vehicle of God's grace to, go, to the people of El Paso, okay? You know, I, I said this at the beginning, this kind of passage is always hard for me because it's like imperative upon imperative on top of like just calling you to do things, right? But I want to leave you with Jesus. I want to preach Jesus every week, right? Like that's what Chuck and I want to do. So I'm going to leave us here, Okay that remember all these pushes to live in a certain way are called to God's people. It's not to a person so they can become a believer, right? We know that we, have, we strive to live in a certain way because Christ has shown us first His grace, His kindness, and His love. That's why we do it. It's never to merit anything. Philippians 2, 6-8 through 8 says this, who, though he was in the form of God, did not account equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, 
and being found in human form. He humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. This is the Son of God who was born as an infant who lived a perfect life and died for you and for me. So in your need, in your weakness, God sent his own Son so that we may follow him, that we may be justified, right? That we know that we are justified in his Son. If you left here, and gave me the middle finger and said, I don't want to do any of that. I think something would be wrong with your heart, but at the same time, it doesn't change your place in the kingdom if you are a believer, right? That's what I want to leave us with, is that no matter how much you fall this week, you are justified in God's Son. He loves you beyond any mistake that you could ever participate in. So let us never forget all that Christ has done, what all Christ has redeemed us from and what he has redeemed us for. Let's pray together. Father, as we come um, to a text like this, we know that um, for some it will motivate us to live in a certain way for good, for your glory. Others in the room will be motivated because we feel either obligated or guilty. For others, it can crush us, the weight of living a holy life before others because we feel like we don't measure up. So, Father, for all these people in the room, myself included, whichever category we fall in, we pray that we would know our peace, our love, does not stem from anything that we have done, but only by the work of your own Son. Father, as we do, uh, just strive to have a, a, a kingdom impact in this town. Father, we pray we would always be grounded in that truth, that you have called out a people to be your holy nation, royal priesthood, your own possession, and that out of that truth we may exude these truths that you have called us to this morning. Father, we thank you for your word in this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.